There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Caroline. She has ADHD. Let's talk about it. In the corner between France and Switzerland. Okay, cool. I, I've never actually been, I, I, Germany is like pretty high on my list of places to go. Um, I remember, I remember my dad went when I was really young and he came home with a, with a, he bought a, he bought like a, a photograph when he was there and it was a photograph of where he stayed and it was this crazy castle. Mm-hmm. And I also remember they bought it and I was really young. So like this, this, this is like a, one of the youngest memories I have. And I remember he brought my mom back these, like these they were like emerald earrings, like these really, really like, I, they weren't emerald. They were like, um, they were these little stones that were like the most beautiful, like aqua blue that you've ever seen. And when I, so when I was a kid, I just like seeing that castle and seeing these beautiful earrings, I was like, wow, Germany. The land of fairy it, tales. Yeah, yeah. It must be <laughs> such a fairy tale land. There are like a lot of, there are like a lot of magical castles. But yeah, in, totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. In yeah. Germany. Yeah. I've been to Munich and I've been to Frankfurt. I've been to, I've been Frankfurt. to Frankfurt airport. And um, I tried to buy a beer. I tried to buy a Stein at a, at a beer house and um, it was like, a thousand dollars, so I didn't. Yeah, a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars. That's like the biggest tourist. How much do you actually think it was? It was crazy expensive. It was like like mm-hmm. like like it was like, like fifty Canadian dollars. It was like eighty euros. Whoa! And then and then what? and then I didn't want to. I was on. Dude, that's like a hundred and thirty Canadian dollars. I was en route to uh, India, fuck. and I didn't want to carry it with me. I was going to be traveling for like a month. So oh, I like, sorry. I thought just you were. I, I'm sorry. I thought you were trying to buy just a beer. No, I was like, that is that is gonna, the most expensive beer. I was no, it's like one like, of the ah. mugs with like the tin. Yes, I, I know what you're talking about. Now. Okay. Yeah. It's the it actual Stein like, itself. I mean, it's like a lot of money, but also if that's a piece of art that somebody yeah. made, like obviously they're taking advantage of. of I mean, it was a piece but, of art that somebody made that they were selling hundreds of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I didn't even know what a Stein was for most of my life. <laughs> is, that, is that not like yeah, a so common like, thing? No, like, I don't. I, I didn't even know the word. Oh, yeah, it would so be like funny. it would be like it would be like somebody coming to Canada and being like, "Where can I buy a beaver?" Yeah, yeah, right. Because <laughs> like you guys, yeah. all, you guys all have beavers, right? Yeah, beaver, beaver oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, Car- uh, Caroline, you are. Uh, I believe you might be one of our first guests from from Germany. So, congratulations! Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> right such a pleasure top. to have you on the show, and. And actually, I'm really excited to dive into the subject matter that we're going to be talking to you about today because ADHD is um, is a, is a topic that we've only covered twice on the show. Um, early, early, early days, like back when we were recording in Brian's mom's basement, we did an episode, That's right. yeah. and then and then we just recently did an episode, not too too long ago, uh, a few months ago. Um, but here's the reason why I'm excited to talk to you about it because. The thing about ADHD is that I feel like anyone who has a a, 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 a true diagnosis of ADHD likely struggles with that diagnosis for a number of different reasons. But one of the big reasons is that I feel like when you say, oh, I have ADHD, so many people go, so do I. Or like, yeah, yeah, Yeah. you and everybody else, you know, like, uh, it's like OCD. It's like the way that it gets used in the common vocabulary just to describe. It truly is an ailment that's trivialized. And, and, and I, I don't, I'm no, I don't know. I'm I'm just going to speculate on this. I think the reason is because at least like when we were growing up, we, we grew up in a time where, um, 
like the treatment of ADHD or the diagnosis of ADHD might've been like flippantly given out to children. You know, like I remember growing up, like I knew so many kids that were on that's sort of the Ritalin. Uh, that's sort of the, I, I feel like it's hard to know whether that was because now well, where we are now yeah. in, in like in mental health and everything, it's like very hard to realize, to recognize like what was fact and what was fiction. Yeah. Were we overdoing it or was it, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to wrap your head. Around. I don't know either, but Caroline, I know that you've had quite a struggle uh, over yeah. the years. Yeah. And so let's take it all the way back. Let's go back to like where this all began, which I'm, I'm sure was years and years ago. Oh my God. It's like childhood trauma or where do you want to start? <laughs> oh, I mean, if you want to go down that road, let's, let's do it. No, the, um, I was just thinking about, um, the trivialization because, um, when I was in elementary school, um, we had one boy in class, um, who he was just, I really didn't like him. He was always so over the top and he didn't respect people's boundaries. And he was always just, Ah, he was too much for me. And I remember one time in break, he like um, cornered me in the hallway and yelled something in my face. And that's all I ever talked to him. And then um, at some point I overheard a parent and our teacher talking about him. And the parents said something like, oh yeah, and Dylan, he also has the ADHD. And <laughs> my little kid brain, I'm like, What's that? <laughs> the ADHD. Is yeah. that why he yelled at me? <laughs> yeah. And for the longest time, that's all I knew about ADHD. Um, and it wasn't until I was a grown up and um, eventually got to my own diagnosis um, that I learned more about it. I even um, when I was a teenager, I had a friend um, tell me that they thought ADHD meant um, that the attention deficit wasn't with you paying attention, but um, that you didn't get enough attention from your parents. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. attention to parental attention <laughs> deficit. Yes, exactly. PADHD. Exactly. So, so, you know, you're you're uh, 26 now, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. at, at what point did you actually get a diagnosis of ADHD? I was 21. Yeah. Um, so I've been struggling with, um, mental health for like 10 years now. And, um, it was a very long time in therapy before anyone even got the idea that something with ADHD might be, um, my issue. Um, it was actually my mom who brought it up to me because I was, um, I was just I was on the way to get diagnosed for um, borderline personality disorder. Um, and she was like, no, that, that doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Uh -uh. And I'm like, mom, I fit all of the symptoms. I feel like it. I, I, I connect to all of the people explaining their experiences. I don't have ADHD. What? I'm not hyperactive. What's wrong? <laughs> and um, she started to explain to me how it um, presents differently in, uh, in women and how it presents differently in adults. And, um, I still, I just, I just didn't want to hear it. And, um, yeah, when I was 21, I was so unstable, um, in every aspect of my life that I was going to get myself, um, how do you say, um, I was going to a psychiatric ward, oh, wow. um, that specializes in borderline personality disorder because I just, I just didn't know what else to do. I didn't know where to go. What were, Caroline, what were some of the ways that your mental health was being affected? <laughs> um, so the most prevalent thing was um, depression. Like started, it started when I was 16, 15, um, and it just came back all the time. I would go through periods of intense depression and go to therapy, figure it all out and then a year later, same shit. Um, <laughs> I was um, self-harming when I was younger. Um, stopped sometime before getting my diagnosis, but that was all, always a very big part of those dark times. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I didn't feel like I knew who I was as a person, which is a big thing in um, Borderline. And um, I was very, very emotional. Like 
it was a roller coaster. Um, that's also a big thing for borderline. Like um, you feel 10 different um, emotions from high to low to angry to sad um, in the span of like two hours. Mm. Um, yeah. And that was pretty much my life back then. Mm. Um, were you being, were you uh, prescribed medication? Like when you were, like when you were younger in like the 15, 16 to between, I guess, the time where it started to the time you get the diagnosis, were you being prescribed medication for, for anything? No. Uh-uh. Um, I was in therapy uh, when it first started for like half a year. And um, that was enough to get better at that point. Um, but then after that, I kept uh, reaching out to different therapists and trying to get into therapy again. But um, I had a few first meetings with some of them and it just never fit right. And then, I don't know. So I didn't get medication until after the diagnosis. I feel like it's something when we, when we first started doing the podcast, <clears throat> which was in 2015, like they, that when we first started talking about mental health, I remember that, and I feel like this is probably similar for, for both of you guys as well, that it, it stuck out and it has never faded from memory being blown away by someone telling us that something like the average, uh, length of time that it takes somebody to get a proper mental health diagnosis was between like five and eight years, Yeah, mm-hmm. which I remember just being like, holy shit, that is so wild. I mean, not that that, that stuff doesn't happen with physical health as well, but that, that, like you said, you were, you were self-harming and, mm-hmm. and there's a, and there's this huge, huge window of time where you are left without a diagnosis, uh, which has a whole bunch of like downstream ramifications of being confused about what's actually going on and how that affects, how that compounds on your mental health, just not knowing why you feel a certain way. And, mm-hmm. and, and, then, and then also not being able to be treated properly because you're not sure what that is. Like what, what was the feeling between all this starting and getting a finally getting a diagnosis of of not knowing what the fuck was going on or not having a, a label i guess to associate with what you were experiencing um i just thought i was broken i just thought something's something's fucked in my brain and yeah i'm i was also at the time um trying to figure out what to do with my life. Like I graduated high school, um, in 2012. And, um, after that I started like five different kinds of training for a job. I started studying psychology twice. I tried to get into, um, jewelry making. I spent a year studying to be a speech pathologist. And every time I ended up having a mental breakdown somewhere along the one year mark, um, getting back into depression and um, running away and trying a different thing. So mm. a lot of the time I used to blame it on that circumstance. Like I'm just not able to finish anything I start. And that's the reason I'm so fucked up. Um, and I always thought that next time it will be better with the next thing. I just have to find the right thing and then I'll be okay. And then my mental health will finally improve. Isn't that a, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like hindsight's 2020, but looking back and seeing like all of the different sort of like um, hyper focuses or like paths that you decided to go mm-hmm. down and then they get to a point where they sort of inevitably come to this end and then you switch gears and try something different. Um, Sounds like you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, truly, I like, like, Brad, like, Brad, you, 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 I, we, I like not to, not to trivialize it or joke, joke around about it, but like, seriously, we watching you take on a certain task or like a new interest. It's like over the last six years, it, 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 you get, you go like hard yeah. and deep. It's really, it's, and then it's really hard for me, honestly. Yeah. And it, it's funny because one of the, like talking about, taking so long to get a diagnosis. Um, I find um, partially 
invalidation from like people really close to you is sometimes like uh makes it hard for you to get a, a mental health diagnosis because mm. you say things like oh man it's like it's my adhd and then like everybody wants to like give you sort of you know resources or strategies to help you deal with your mental health and like i i'm the type of person who feels you know uh like there feels like there's this sense that i don't want to take medication so like right. i don't go and pursue it uh a more formal diagnosis or go and meet with a psychiatrist. But I also have these moments in my mind where I'm like, holy fuck, that would be so like such a relief because yeah. like my brain feels like my brain to, to be me on a daily basis, feels like a rat running on a wheel. And then like, there's no getting off of it. It's like constantly like, go, 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 sleep, go, 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 sleep. And like, I just can't stop thinking about things. And mm. anyway, it's, but like, having people in your life that encourage you, I guess, in those times to like go and like, Hey, like, what are you doing today? Like about, you know, getting closer to a diagnosis because my therapist sent me uh, an email two months ago now with like the steps to contacting a psychiatrist and I haven't followed up with them, but like also that's part of ADHD, like yeah. not following through on those things. Um mm -hmm. <laughs> Caroline, do you, do you relate to that? <laughs> Always, all the time. <laughs> and I don't want to. I don't want to make this. I want to talk about your experience. I don't want to talk about. Um, no, it's all right. My experience right now, but it's yeah, okay. It's uh, actually Brian. This is an intervention. We Caroline knew <laughs> this, is all, this was all for this you. This is all but about it, you. It is. It is. A, it can be like emotional to think about too, because yeah. it's so frust. Like it feels like the the thing that's so frustrating about this idea. D of ADHD, and I don't have a formal diagnosis. I've my therapist did an assessment with me and was like, "Yeah, like you need to talk to a psychiatrist mm -hmm. about this." But for me, it's like the the very nature of the disorder sort of doesn't allow you an easy path towards mm. getting diagnosed. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the same here. Honestly, I was so lucky to basically be guided towards the diagnosis because otherwise, I still might not have one yeah. um and like if if you need help um for your adhd like if you need um uh what's it called accommodations um i didn't even know if we had that over here i only mm -hmm. knew about that from my canadian friends and um then I, I looked it up and it's it takes so much time and research and to figure all of this out on your own and it's even harder when you struggle with exactly that process with um remembering to do things and to follow through and to keep deadlines and to to stick to uh assignments like if i want accommodations for this uh job training i'm doing right now then i have to go to the psychiatrist um get him to fill out a form um get him to do like write down a letter with um all the parts of life I struggle with and how they could be made easier in school, then I have to send that um, to the school that's um, doing the exam in the end. And like, it's all on me. I struggle with that stuff. Like th that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what you need. Right. The yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's, it's like as if someone who like someone who like was born without legs and, and needed prosthetics and they were like, okay, yeah, cool. You can, we can totally hook you up with prosthetics. You just got to get yourself to the prosthetic um, store, which is, <laughs> which is six hours uh, drive away. And you um, have no car. And you have no car <laughs> and you got to get yourself there and exactly. good luck. Yeah. Like, yeah. like have fun with that. Like we were mm -hmm. talking, we were talking about when we were driving to Cape Breton a, a month ago, Bri, we were talking about ADHD and like, and, and, um, like I think it was the I don't know if the four of us were in the car yet, but we were kind of talking about. Uh, I remember saying something to the effect of like, you know, do you, you know, you know that this affects you this way, um, and prevents you from this. So like, can you put this process in place to try and mitigate the of the eventuality that you know will happen? And then it was like, you know, you said something to the effect of like. Yeah, I could do that, but just that process, like ADHD will intervene in the process that I create to manage the ADHD. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then that's, 
So it's like, there are things that you can do, but then ADHD kind of sticks its head into, into the processes that you try to create to help. For, yeah. for me um, and Caroline, I'm curious what your experience uh, with this sort of thing has been like, but for me, implementing a process takes a really long time. And then as soon as I start to get it, I, I, I feel like I'll, I'll have it for a win, a window of time. And then I just lose it. Like, like doing this, um, since Lauren, um, left the podcast, our, our, uh, former producer, we've had to take on some of the work that she, she was doing. And one of the things for me is, is like, um, putting together some content for social media and, and, uh, copy for posts on Monday mornings. And I set up a three reminders on Sunday to make sure that all of that's done. I get the reminders. I see them. I think of it and go, I got to do that. And then I start walking towards my desk to sit down and do it. And then I turn and focus on something else and totally forget. Like it, yeah. the, the forgetfulness of it is so mind blowing. And then I wake up on Monday morning and I'm like, fuck, I was supposed to do that. And I don't really remember until oftentimes <laughs> I get like a text from Taylor. It's like, Hey, have you done that yet? And, <laughs> and after like eight weeks and, and it's, it it's incredibly frustrating to wake up yeah. in the morning and go, I can't believe I forgot that. Like, I can't yeah. believe I, I put, like I tried to implement so many strategies to mm-hmm. do this and I can't believe it, it didn't work. But then now after like eight weeks, or so I feel like, okay, cool. Like it's starting to like starting, I'm now starting to remember that because it's, and it's the feeling of forgetting that mm-hmm. is like, oh, I feel so shitty now. Maybe this will remind me. And then yeah. so it feels like it starts to work, but I also feel like it's like, how long will that last for? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Caroline, Caroline, when you, when you, when you get a diagnosis and then how, and, and whatever processes, which I want to get into it at some point, of course, of like the, mm. of like the things that have, you've been given or prescribed, whether it's medication or, uh, w- or whatever else to like help you and manage your ADHD as best as possible. Do you look back at this, like the things that you, the things that you wanted to do in school and think, you know, if I had had this, then, then, then that thing would have been so incredible to have stuck with and done or that thing or that thing. Like, how do you, how, how does how you are now affect how you think about what you've gone through in the past and the things that have been like taken away from you? Um, the thing that I always used to hear when I was in school, um, was how I had so much potential which is like the worst Super thing you can tell a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Super frustrating. It's, yeah. it's awful. It's like, um, I brought home good grades. Like I, I skipped second grade because I, I was just, school was easy for me and I, I didn't have to do homework. I didn't have to study for tests. It was all just like, I, I sat through it and it was okay. And, um, it just wasn't enough because my parents always thought that, Hey, we know, what you could do if you actually applied yourself. So that was always the the thing that I, I used to hear all the time. And looking back now, um, that's one of the main things I would have liked <laughs> to be different because had I gotten a diagnosis in childhood, um, the messages I used to hear from my parents and authority figures like teachers and stuff wouldn't have been so harmful for Mm. my, for my personality and my self-worth, because honestly, the main reason I've struggled with my mental health so much and I'm still in therapy isn't because I have ADHD. It's because I didn't know I had ADHD growing up. Mm -hmm. The damage that has done is what I'm still healing now. Right. What, what is, what, is that damage like what how how has that impacted you um imagine you have a small child like elementary school age and um children with adhd i don't even remember the number but they hear so many more um negative messages like negative statements about them um you always hear that 
you're not doing well enough. You're not doing good enough. You're, you're lazy, you're disorganized, you're, you keep forgetting things and you're not reliable. Um, what that, what that does to a small child is just, it's awful because Mm -hmm. you end up growing up, never trusting yourself and never feeling like you deserve to be where you are and who you are. I'm, I'm still figuring out who I am beneath all that coping mechanisms and uh, trying to fit in and being someone people want me to be. It's such a, uh, uh, like I'm having a, I'm, I'm going to be having a kid in, um, in March. And, mm-hmm. and I have found that like coming to the front of my mind is like a lot of questions of like, how do you deal with certain situations? And like, how do you, how do you speak to a child so that you get, you, you get from them or they get from themselves what they are capable of without, without doing something or saying something that has like a negative long-term ramification where they were like, and, and, and I, and that is, you know, like everybody, everybody seems to be like, Oh, paying a lot of attention to like, <laughs> like the ins and outs of taking care of a child who need, who, you know, mm-hmm. shits, shits and, and needs to eat every two hours. And I'm, and I'm like, that stuff doesn't, that I'm not worried about that. Yeah. I'm, I'm way more concerned about, you know, doing the things that like you're saying, like creating like a really positive space for them to learn and grow and become themselves. Um, and how to do that in a way that is, is like really positive and doesn't have that, those, those negative long-term consequences and, and having the feeling of like, there's stuff that I don't know. And I'm scared of the, I'm scared of what I don't know, Mm. because I feel like that will, I, I will misstep and I will say something or reinforce a behavior that that I think might be beneficial short-term, but ends up being like negative long-term, which it's because it sounds like in your experience, that's probably a lot of what that is, is like thinking that the thought that what we're saying and and the things that we're reinforcing are positive, but they end up creating, you know, these underlying thoughts of, you know, lack of Mm self-worth or self-esteem or whatever. And then, you know, you get to adulthood and that is like a, that affects you on such a deep level. And yeah. obviously yeah. You're, you're struggling with that. Yeah. I, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm, I'm in training to be a, a kindergarten teacher. I think, I don't know what the equivalent is from no, that, education. That's, yeah, that's, we, yeah. Got, we got that here. Um, so honestly, the longer I've been uh, studying that stuff, the more I'm actually doubting if I want to, children myself because wow you can fuck up so bad um (laughs) but not to scare you (laughs) no um the the main thing we learn for our job is um just be authentic and let them feel loved and let them feel um accomplishment Mm. um just always be that safe haven for them and show them that they're okay with everything they bring to the table and you still love them and you trust them. And the more experiences they make where they can say, Hey, I I did this. I managed to do this. um, The more self-worth they will have in the end. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much all the advice I can give. (laughs) I, um, I want to, I want to go back to like how you ended up with the diagnosis because, um, you know, you had said that you were, you were at, at the point in your life where you thought the, the only thing that you could do was check yourself into a psych ward for borderline personality disorder. Mm. Did you, did you actually show up to the psych ward and like, what was the, what was the process there? Like, were you, were you, were you, um, interviewed and someone went, yeah, you definitely don't have BPD. Um, but let's look at these other avenues. Um, so I called them and, um, I'm made an appointment. And, um, when I showed up, I, um, told them what I was struggling with and basically all my, all my medical history when it comes to mental health. And, um, the woman that was talking to me actually, um, called in a colleague of hers because she wasn't sure herself and made me tell everything again. And they interviewed me 
and um, asked some questions. And then at the end of it all, um, they looked at me and were like, we could admit you. Um, you do check enough of the boxes for BPD. Mm-hmm. But from our experience, it just doesn't feel right. So technically, I did fit the diagnostic criteria. Um, but they had a gut feeling that it's it's not the thing. And um, they suggested that um, I should get tested for ADHD because apparently um, ADHD in combination with depression um, is um, very easily confused with BPD because they present pretty similarly. Wow. Wow. I, I never knew that. And that's, that's pretty wild to hear because like we be, I, I mean, through what we know of, of BPD, it's, it's a total shit show. And like you had said earlier, it's like these crazy roller coaster, this crazy roller coaster ride of emotions, ups and downs. And it can be very, um, very toxic for relationships. And, 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 you know, it's this very intense process. So Mm -hmm. to hear that ADHD in combination with depression, oftentimes looks a lot like BPD is, is I've never, I I never heard that. That's really, that's really wild. Did you end up going to see, like, who was it that you went to see who gave you the actual diagnosis of, of ADHD? Um, so when they told me to get, um, to get diagnosis, um, they also told me where to go because I was like, where, how Help. do I, yeah. like, who, yeah. who can do this? And um, they told me about uh, a place um, at the university where people are studying to become therapists and um, they need to do training after they finish their master's. And um, the institute that does this training um, is led by someone who is one of the experts for adult ADHD. So basically they told me to go there um, because they also could um, give appointments really quickly because not really many people want to go there mm-hmm. um, since they think, oh no, it's a training. I'm going to get bad therapy. Right. Um, and I spent like two years uh, in therapy there. And uh, yeah, they did the diagnosis. They did the whole process with me and um, started the, uh, giving me therapy for it. And when- and was there, was there medication in, in tandem with the therapy? And, and if so, like what, what what medications like what did that look like um so the first thing i got prescribed was from my um what's it called the main the family doctor i think yeah yeah um he prescribed me an antidepressant and um told me to go to a neurologist um i then went there and told her about my diagnoses and um she prescribed me a different uh antidepressant that i'm still on today that was four years ago so Mm. it was a good one (laughs) (laughs) and um then she also got me started on um adhd meds so the first thing i tried was ritalin i think that's the english name too right Yeah. yeah um and then we, yeah, we started at a low dose and worked our way up. And, um, she also had to do, um, like physical testing. Like she, um, told me to get an EKG done, mm-hmm. uh, at my, um, family doctor and she would do regular EEGs, like the brain scan thing. Um, just to see that the dosage isn't too high for me. Um, because, stimulants can breath can mess with your brain and your heart and um since i also get migraines frequently and she told me that migraine patients um are very sensitive to stuff like that um at some point uh she actually told me after an eeg um that we shouldn't uh increase the dosage anymore because i'm very close to the danger zone (laughs) where you are at risk of having seizures Whoa! Oh, shit. Holy shit! Yeah, what yeah. is it? Is what? is Ritalin Adderall, or, um, or vice versa? I don't think they are the same thing, though. I think they do the same thing. Oh, okay. Uh, I just I just had that question because um, I was not sure at all. Quick question: Will you look that up, Jared? Uh, <laughs> Caroline, I'm I'm curious to know how taking medication made you feel. Um, honestly, um, 
in the beginning, I didn't, I, I, you hear descriptions of people with ADHD taking meds for the first time and like crying of joy because they feel this clarity. Mm. It wasn't like that for me. Um, I didn't feel much of a difference at first. And um, we tried different dosages and medications. And um, with what I have now, um, I'm on a different med now. I don't even know what it's called in English. Um, let me look it up in a second. Um, but it helps me um, to even be able to finish a thought. <laughs> and um, like, I, I still struggle with stuff like organization and forgetfulness and all of that, but it makes it a bit easier. And um, they tell you that um, like once a year, you should take a week off from the meds to see if it still makes a difference, which doesn't really make sense to me. But um, when I did that, the last time I noticed that I would suddenly start taking afternoon naps. <laughs> um, so like on the meds, I could stay awake for the whole day. And as soon as I went off the meds, I just, I had to take a nap in the afternoon. I just fell asleep because it was so exhausting mm. to live with my brain. <laughs> did you, did you uh, nap before you started taking medication? Um, I tried not to because afterwards my day was ruined. <laughs> Brian's a nap. That's, Brian's that's, a that's classic. That's classic nap. Uh, Brian's asked. Brian's. Yeah. Brian's asking questions for his own personal benefit. <laughs> no, I'm just curious. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In general, poor sleep and sleep disorders is a very common thing to find in ADHD people. So it's very interesting that they told you to take a week off, and I'm wondering if I'm wondering if. Um, Something that's kind of common that we've heard over the years with anything, anything with mental health is like, is the, the feeling that when you're on a medication for a very long time, that, that you start to forget that one of the reasons why you feel the way you feel is because of the medication that you're taking and that, and then you start to think that you don't need medication, which, which, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of, um, of the idea that, you know, if you don't need to take medication, then you know, don't take medication. And that would be ideal if you don't need to. Um, so, and, and the, so people will come off their medication and then, you know, things might start to unravel if they, you know, continue to need that medication. So I wonder. Very different with like antidepressants though. Like yeah. you're not, you're not supposed to like take a week off of antidepressants right. just oh, to yeah. see how it makes you feel because that's very dangerous. Right. But, but this is in relation to the ADHD meds, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, you're still taking your antidepressants during yes, that time. Yes. Yes. Of course. The good thing is if I miss a dose, I really quickly get um, withdrawal symptoms. So I tend to not forget those. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I want, I wonder if there's something, I wonder, I'm just totally theorizing and I have no fucking clue, but I wonder if it has something to do with that. Like almost like, <coughs> Almost like a bit of a, a check in as to whether it's it you still need it, and then a reminder if you do that you do. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel it's pretty much that. Yeah. The the yeah. main difference between Adderall and Ritalin, by the way, is uh, they're they're similar, but the big big difference is their main main ingredient. Um, Ritalin is a short acting drug that reaches peak levels in the body in a shorter amount of time compared to Adderall. So Adderall is like a, like a longer lasting, yeah. right. Which yeah. I guess makes sense why, uh, yeah. College students take it to stay yeah. up for 12 hours. Yeah. It's funny because when I have, when I was a college student taking it to be like, Oh yeah, like th this is going to help you study. I would take it. And I was like, I don't get this. I don't, I don't really get it. I, I want to go normal. I want to go to feel regular. Makes me feel really, <laughs> yeah. really yeah. good. Mm, interesting. And, interesting. And yeah. Interesting note there, Brian. Um, yeah. Can we can we talk a little bit about um, about executive dysfunction? Yes. Because, <laughs> like, again, when it comes to ADHD, um, I mean, like, I, I really don't know much. Like, I don't know the. I don't really know the difference between ADHD and ADD. I don't really know like how ADHD, like what the, what the intricacies are when it comes to like how it presents in, in, in humans and like what's going on in the mind. So what is, what is executive dysfunction? Um, all right. So first of all, um, ADHD and ADD are the same thing. They used to be separated, okay. but they're the same disorder. It's just that um, you can have ADHD and be um, primarily hyperactive and impulsive. 
which is the, the stereotypical um, boy that can't sit still. And um, you could also have it where you're just inattentive, which is more common in girls, the, the dreaminess and forgetfulness, mm. and I'm not listening, what? And um, you can ha also have the combined type. And that's just, that's the difference. Okay, okay. Um, for exec executive dysfunction. Um, so what happens in ADHD is that, so first of all, the um, there's not really damage, but it's um, there's a difference in how uh, neurotransmitters work in our brain. Um, so the most important one is dopamine, which just doesn't really work the same way in our brains as in neurotypical brains. Mm. Um, it gets absorbed way quicker. It gets produced uh, at smaller dosages. It's just, it's rare <laughs> to have enough dopamine. Um, and also there are structural and functional differences in your frontal cortex, this part of your brain, like here, mm -hmm. behind your forehead. And um, that's where basically executive functioning that uh, sits. Uh, do you guys know what executive functions are? <laughs> no, please. All right. <laughs> so basically, um, if you look at a child and an adult and the difference in their mental, emotional, uh, capacities, um, what makes an adult an adult is executive functioning. Um, it's mm. um, controlling your emotions, your attention, regulating <laughs> yourself, um, starting and stopping tasks, organizing them, setting priorities, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So basically everything you need to be able to do as, an, as a functioning adult. And um, that's just super hard for ADHD people because it's just the, the, the part of your brain where that sits just isn't developed well right, enough. It right. could be um, in some people, it's smaller than usual. In some people, it's just not, it doesn't get enough blood flow or something. It's just, yeah, it's just messed up. And honestly, for me personally, that's the, the part of my life that I struggle with the most. And that's also why, some people only get diagnosed when they get older, which is the, the, the case for me. I didn't struggle in school because all the executive functioning was done for me from outside. Right. I had the structure. I had organization from outside. I had enough support from my parents and, and school and stuff that it, it didn't really matter that I just couldn't concentrate in class or that I forgot my homework all the time right. because I still got along. And then as soon as you're on your own and you have to do all of that adult stuff for yourself that's when shit hits the fan because you can't you can't right. you never learned how to do it you were unable to learn how to do it Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts. So that to that point of self-regulation, um, this is uh, according to attitudemag.com, which is a ADHD resource. Um, the seven major types of self-regulation associated with executive functioning are number one, self-awareness, which is commanding self-directed attention. Number two, self-restraint, um, inhibiting yourself. Number three, nonverbal working memory. So holding things in your mind to guide behavior. Number four, verbal working memory, which is retaining internal speech. Number five, this is probably a big one for a lot of people, emotional. So using words and images along with self-awareness to alter how you feel about things. Yep. Number six, self-motivation, another big one, motivating yourself to do things when no outside consequences exist. And then the last one, planning and problem solving, finding new approaches and solutions. And so like, if you like just taking a second to think about how, if someone didn't have the full capacity to implement those self-regulation tools in their life, how dysfunctional 
would that life be? Mm-hmm. pretty dysfunctional you know yeah <laughs> is there um is there and, and maybe and i don't necessarily expect you to have an answer to this but you seem like you're you seem like you're you're fairly read up on 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 the topic um is there anything to suggest in like research or or any like methods that might be in place i'm thinking of like in school in particular because when i think of school i think of you know you're graduating to another year every year. And as you go along, you're sort of slowly being given more uh, responsibility, which I'm, I'm assuming is either consciously or subconscious or subconsciously um, by design of the curriculum designed to, to force your executive functions to adapt and grow as you get older. Um, Is there any, do you know of any, of anything that, is being done or talked about possibly being done to, to like intervene, to make the, that part of your brain ad, like adapt at a certain age. Like I'm thinking, and, and, and for context, I just, I watched that video that you put up, right? Where podcasters give way too much context to questions. And I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> and now I'm about to do just uh, that. That's us. And uh, like, I went to, I went to a boarding school. I started going to a boarding school when I was 16. And like, that was a huge change from, going to public school where I was living at home. And like, all of a sudden I had, you know, I, 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 st- I had meals given to me and everything like that, but I was on my own. I didn't have my parents and there's a different social system and hierarchy and all that stuff going on. And then figure that, figure that out. And I always look back on that and thought, well, that was really helpful for me to like develop into an adult or develop adult functions younger. Um, and I'm, I guess my, I guess what I'm wondering is, whether that would be something that would just sow utter turmoil in the mind of somebody who's has ADHD, like giving them all of this executive function responsibility at an age where they haven't even, they, that hasn't even developed along with, um, you know, where it should be at, I guess, at an age level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good idea, but it's really hard to, um, to actually do that in real life because, um, a lot of the the strategies for neurotypical people don't really work uh, when you have ADHD. So mm. a lot of the advice uh, from like self-help, self, self-help books, yeah, um, mm. for like how to get your life together and um, how to start a new routine, how to get things done, whatever, is made for neurotypical brains and it, it just won't work for ADHD, it Mm. never will. So um, that's one part of it. Like you had to, you would have to learn different strategies to do the thing. And um, the second part is that um, ADHD brains mature slower than their Mm. um, peers. So they, a lot of the time physically can't get to the point yet when their classmates can. And it's it's so interesting that 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 there's a that there's a um a, a a lag in development of the brain, especially in the context of that you said you you know you skipped a grade in grade two, school was easy. Brian, you you I know that you have the same sort of feeling with school. Like school was always a I'm like I'm just here for lunchtime. Like, you know, school's fucking easy. Yeah. And and I always was like and I always looked at you and Dennis who both like kind of breezed through school. And I was always very jealous of that. Not like jealous, but I was always like, damn, that'd be nice. And so I'm wondering, I'm wondering like how that, how those two things, it seems so interesting that those two things can coexist together. One, one thing that you said though, is that like, like that school is sort of designed in this way where it's sort of like increasing the um, response, the responsibility of the executive function, like as you sort of Mm. go on year by year. But what I found is that there's actually a massive transition from um, high school here to university because I had, you know, I had no mark below 90 in, in grade 12 here. And then I went to university and I failed a class and it was the first time I'd ever failed a class. And I like felt terrible that, that I had let that happen and I found the thing that I found to be most difficult was it wasn't good enough just to go to class. There was work that had to be done outside. There was readings that had to be done on my own. And 
I just wasn't, and especially because, you know, your first year of university is designed to be sort of like an introduction to everything. Mm. There's, even though you might be taking a, a, a degree or program that, you know, in theory you're interested in, the classes aren't all interesting mm. to you. So like, I, I just, you know, there was a couple of classes I loved and excelled at, and there was a couple of classes that I just a- absolutely couldn't be bothered with. And I switched programs twice and then found that, you know, maybe that wasn't the right thing for me. And, and just, and, and that's the, the thing that I've spoken to my therapist most about is actually, there's a lot of things that I would have been really interested in studying. And I wish that I could have stayed focused long enough to follow those things through. And I have a challenge now of like grieving the sort of life that I could have lived if I had the knowledge or understanding of what I was going through at the time and, and could have, you know, what if I had access to different therapies that could have helped me pursue those things. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that I find hardest about it. But Carolyn, for you, like when did, did you experience that sort of when you went on to college or university or? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the first time I I tried university, I, I was 17. I wasn't old enough to move out yet. So I had to pick a university that was very close to home and, um, it was good for the first like two days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Solid 48 hours. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> um, the problem was that at the time I was struggling with, um, with my sleep a lot and um, I just, I couldn't stay awake in class and it took four weeks until I dropped out. Uh, <laughs> that was the one, uh, one of the shorter um, attempts. The second time I tried university, I actually made it until the second semester. Um, and I was, I was happy with it. I was, I was content. I was going to class. I was, well, mostly, um, since it was free, it's not that, it's not that big of a deal if you miss a class. And, um, (laughs) the thing is I didn't do any work at home. And I, I was really struggling with that because I'd heard from everyone else who was studying at university, like you have to prepare, you have to work after classes and like do summaries of everything that was said and stuff, because otherwise you're going to fall. You're going to, you're just going to, you won't pass. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I managed somehow the first exam season was hell. Like my mental health had been stable finally. Uh, and then exam season came and I was so close to a mental breakdown. Like mm. I did manage to study and I did manage to pass with really good grades, but that was the first time in like two years back then that I had the desire to self-harm again, which was such a red flag for me. Mm. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, I can do better next semester. And I kept pushing it forward and, and, and being like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to start. Like, uh, in June, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to start after that. Mm-hmm. And it ended with me coming home from vacation and not leaving my room for two weeks because I fell into depression. Um, so the struggle was mostly organizing myself at home, doing the work at home because yeah, it's not enough anymore to just sit in class and absorb stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, yeah. I'm wondering if uh, I'm curious to know, I'm curious to know your thoughts, Caroline, and, and, and you, Bryce, since like you, you both ha- seem to have had some overlap in your like experience with the university and college and stuff. And this is more of a, of like a, just a broader question on like how school, how schooling is structured as we, as we go along. Like you were saying that there's a huge, that there was a really big jump and gap between what is required of you when you're in high school to what's required of you once you go to university. Like <clears throat> the responsibility, self-responsibility just goes like through the roof at university. And um, one thing that I, that was a huge benefit when I, when I moved from public school here to where I went to private school in the U S um, and not, and, and I know that there are many barriers and struggles to how this could ever be fucking implemented in public school systems, but that, that it was called, it's called prep school because it was like, it was basically saying these four years of school are to, are to prepare you for university. And so there was that angle to it that 
that made it so that the structure of the schooling, that there wasn't as wild of a jump from, from high school to university, that it was a, that it was a much more bridgeable gap from mm-hmm. one to the other. And I, and, and so what I'm curious about from, from both of you on that is, is I can see how that could be in on one side, maybe it's, maybe it's helpful because it's, 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 it's bringing you along specifically towards making that jump. Mm. But I can also see how that would be very challenging (laughs) and maybe, and maybe so challenging that it doesn't allow you to learn in high school either. Um, Anyway, just broad thought. I have two uh, strong feelings about that. One is public school is designed so that um, basically the general public doesn't get left behind. Mm -hmm. So that's the, like the, the reason why, you know, it's not able to sort of be prepare you for university in the same way as because it sort of caters to the average or mm-hmm. yeah, anyway. But the the um, the the thing that I feel strongly about is it's more so like the the two things that would have helped me the most was being diagnosed with ADHD then and and having access to probably medication. Um, because if I was diagnosed then, then I would have known my sort of weaknesses and been able to try to implement strategies to accommodate those things. And if I had medication, then that probably would have helped too. But that's like the the biggest thing is that like I just wasn't diagnosed. And like even now, I still don't have a formal diagnosis. So, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate that I have flexibility in in my work, but it's also, it's like the single best thing for me. And also probably the single worst thing for me, because, you know, I'm working at, find myself working at two in the morning on things that I probably don't need to be doing. To, to that point, Caroline, I'm wondering now that, you know, now that you, you have this diagnosis and you're, you're on medications and you're going through the therapy, have you found ways to turn your weaknesses into strengths? Uh, I found a job that is really good at that. <laughs> um, the thing is, um, I told my therapist when I started with her that um, I'm going to, like back then, I am going to start uh, training for a job and I want to be in therapy with you until I finish that training. Mm. Because otherwise I wouldn't trust myself to do it until the end. And um, by the way, I've come further than I have with any other attempt uh, before. So yay. Congratulations, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the main thing that my diagnosis did for me is understanding, understanding my brain, how it works and um, being more patient with myself about that stuff. Mm. And that's also what my therapist focuses on most of the time, because she's not, she's not an expert for ADHD. She, she said to me that you probably know more about ADHD than I do. I was like, Oh, wow. That's nice (laughs) um but she's focusing more on the on the emotional aspects and the Mm. the the damage that was done in my childhood by not being diagnosed so she's helping with not beating myself up if my adhd gets in the way of something um and i am getting to the point at school where things get harder and i'm noticing more and more of a challenge but the good thing is um in my work Um, so we spend an entire day with the children, like from, we start at 7am until 6pm. Some kids are there for 11 hours a day. Um, and we spend the entire day with them. And for kids, it's so important to have structure, to have routines, to have Mm. the same thing every day at the same time. Um, that's great for ADHD people too. So I benefit from what we do for the kids as well. Like my day, yeah. my day is always the same structure. At the same time, we have the same activities. We have lunch at the same time. We have um, uh, an afternoon snack at the same time. It's 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 just a routine that I mm. wouldn't be able to make for myself. And there, it's from my work. Mm. Um, also, um, what ADHD does for me is um, I'm I'm really empathetic with people. And um, that's a huge strength in this job. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because of my personal struggles and my, my therapy experiences, I'm a lot more patient with the kids because I know what it's like. <laughs> mm. um, 
like I had this one kid, I'm, I'm still 100% certain that he has some sort of ADHD, but it, at the time I was just an assistant. I wasn't even studying yet. So it wasn't my part to talk to the parents about it. I did talk to my colleagues though. And, um, there was one situation where, um, he, uh, he was fighting with a friend and threw a stone at him and he himself was crying about it unconsolably because mm-hmm. he kept saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And his friend was like, yes, of course you did. I saw you. And she saw you too. Like there was a witness. And then I went up to him and I asked him like, Hey, could it be that you didn't mean to throw the stone at him? That was just, you were angry and it just happened so fast. You couldn't think about it. And he just nodded. And I thought, yeah, that's that's been my experience too as a child. Yeah. You, you do yeah. stuff before you get the chance to think about it, and then you fucked up. Um, another thing that's super helpful um, at my work is I don't filter sensory input very well. So I could be talking to you guys, and I see stuff happening over there and back there, and I hear the kids screaming in the background. Um, so my boss, um, told me once that she's so amazed how we are outside in the garden and I notice everything. Like (laughs) I'm I'm talking to her and we're holding a conversation and I can see that the two kids back there are fighting and one's about to cry. And that one back back there is about to climb the fence. And Mm -hmm. I just, I notice stuff like that. And in a a different job, that would be a disadvantage because I, I would get distracted all the time. And in this Mm. job, it's like, nice you make you make a really good assassin (laughs) you know like those movies were like the assassin sitting at a coffee table but really he's looking into the reflection on the refrigerator in the kitchen to see the guys behind him that are but you know guys do you know this is it this is what yeah i think i think i Missed my true calling. Yeah, yeah, there we go. To be an assassin? Yeah. Or a kindergarten teacher. Uh, kindergarten. Uh, oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. My bad, my bad. Uh, Caroline, um, uh, there's there's one last big question that that we want to ask you. But before we do, how how long do you have left in training before you become um, such a wonderful kindergarten teacher? Um, it's one and a half years I have left. So, so I'm close. halfway point, yeah. You're so close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is the biggest thing that ADHD has taken away from you? Time. Time. Because if I didn't have ADHD or if I'd gotten a diagnosis earlier, I wouldn't have spent nine years after graduating trying to figure out what to do with my life. I would be done studying and I would be working in a job and I wouldn't be 26 and still somewhat reliant on my parents for money. Um, I just feel like I wasted so many years trying to figure this out. Mm. I would also, I mean, it, it, the, it's funny that you say time because I'm sure that you can relate to this in that, you know, time sometimes just slips away for folks like you, you know, like time just literally disappears and you go, fuck, fuck, fuck me. It's been seven hours and I've been, I didn't do that thing that I was meaning to do. So like literally and figuratively it's taken away time. What would you say is the biggest thing it's given you? It's given me who I am. Um, As much as I struggle with it and as much as I hate how hard things are for me, um, I, I wouldn't want to change it. Like if I could flip a switch and not have ADHD, I, I wouldn't want to do it because it's made me who I am. And I'm finally at a point in my life where I like that person. Mm. I'm happy with that person most of the time. Um, yeah, it's, it's given me who I am as a person. It's shaped me in so many ways and I, I wouldn't want to change it. Well, Caroline, I got to say, we are so grateful that you came on the show to share with us who it is that you are and, and, you know, the struggles that you've been through, because I think that um, this for sure sounds like one of those conversations that's going to touch at least a few of our listeners. And so we really do appreciate you taking time out of your night tonight to sit down and chat with us. This has been really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. (laughs) 
Well, there you go, folks. That was our conversation with Caroline. I loved that conversation. I hope you loved it as much as I did. And if you did, then head on over to Apple Podcasts, if you're listening to this there, and leave a rating and a review and let us know what you think of the podcast. Or if you're listening on Spotify, you can use your mobile app to leave a rating just underneath the the main page there on Sick Boy Podcast. We'd really appreciate if you did either or both of those things. And of course, every Friday we come to you over on YouTube. So go check us out there while you're at it. Sick Boy Podcast is hosted and produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. And of course, our theme music by the band Take Part. That's it for this week. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.